Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. I wonder what images come to mind when you hear the word church, what you think of when you first hear church. Sometimes I wonder if we would be pretty far off from how the first century viewed or responded when they heard the word church, because from its inception, the church was a movement. It was a movement of people built upon a conviction that Jesus Christ had died as the only Savior for sinners. On the conviction that he had risen from the dead, proving everything he had said about himself was true, that he's the Lord over all things. And so all people everywhere are invited and called to repent and come home to him. When you read the, the, the New Testament, the original language of the New Testament was Greek, and the word translated church is the word ekklesia, and it, it means a, a group of people who are called out or assembled around an idea or a conviction. You break it down to its roots, the word ek means out of or out from, and kaleo means called out. You think of church, in the first century they would have thought of a group of people who were called out from the world in the, the traditional way of living life to center their lives and live their lives around a conviction, an idea uh, of the gospel. Some things happened over the years and that began to change. People began to view church as a place place to go and, and be at and receive goods and services, some kind of spiritual goods and services. It, it could be in part because the word church that we have in English doesn't derive from ecclesia, a movement of people, a group of people who are centered on an, an idea and called out to go and be on the move, but it, it comes from the German word Kirche. You say Kirche, Kirche, you learn German, Happy New Year, you learned a new language already. That word literally means a building for organized religion, right? It, it means a sacred place that you go to, that you come to, to receive kind of religious goods and, and services. And that shift in thinking fundamentally changed the way that people related to the church. Rather than being a movement, church now became a, a, a place to be, a point on the map, a building to go to where you go and are surrounded with something religious or spiritual and then you leave. Or it became an event, an activity that you put on your calendar and you attended it and then you left rather than being a movement of people. And so the church became an institution, became an, an, an organized institution that offered goods and services to people. Often throughout history, dark ages, middle ages, it, it was led by people of power, often who maybe didn't have God's purposes in mind, but they had their own purposes in mind. That doesn't sound at all familiar, does it? And the danger in every age, in each age, in our age, is that we cease being a movement. The church ceases being a movement of people whose lives are built upon a conviction and belief in Jesus, and we become simply an organization that offers services to people, or worse yet, an event on the calendar by which people come and they, they sit through it, and then they go home. Church is a movement, and movements by nature move. And if you're a part of the movement, then you are moving. And the question that I want to begin with as we enter into 2023 
is, well, I say this first. If you were with us last week online, we opened the book of Acts, and I told you that Luke wrote the book of Acts. It's his second writing. His first writing is a gospel, and he said, in my first writing, I wrote to you about all of the things that Jesus began. Somebody say began. Began to do and say before he ascended. But it was only the beginning. He's not done working. He's still building his church as he promised he would. He's doing it through a movement of his people through which he extends his healing and his grace and his truth into the lives of people throughout the world. It was only the beginning. He's not done. And the question this morning that I want to put in front of you as we begin a new year is, are we as a church more like running an institution? Are we a part of a movement? Are we as a church? You can personalize it, and you can, you can maybe ask it more like this. Are you, for you, is the church a place that you attend? Is it a date on your calendar? Your alarm went off on a different time than a normal day, and you drove to a different location, and you came and you sat in your normal seat, unless somebody else got in your seat. They didn't know that was your seat. And you just looked at them for an hour with like a scowl on your face. What's wrong with that guy? Or is church a movement that you are a part of? Grab your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 1. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to move through Acts throughout the year. This year we're going to spend a lot of time here. And I told you last week, uh, Acts is a story that Luke is writing, an historical account based on eyewitnesses of everything that was happening in these moments. He's writing it down for a man named Theophilus. Tried to tell a joke on online church. No one laughs, and so you don't know how it works at all. I said it's Theophilus' name that you ever heard, Theophilus. But then... It was the awfulest joke I've ever told. Um, I told you last week that in the beginning, uh, Luke is writing about the things that Jesus said and, and did, and now he's telling the disciples what happens next. I want to read what I started with last week and read a little further. So Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, is about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these, the disciples, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning of the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, if you've got a pen or a pencil and you want to highlight or, or mark something in your Bible, you might highlight the word 40 days here, that he spent 40 days, that's in verse 3, with Jesus. The disciples are with them. Jesus has been crucified. He is resurrected. He is gathering with his disciples for 40 days. He is spending time with them. And the number 40 recalls other significant moments throughout the Bible, usually by which God is preparing people for a thing. He's preparing them for a big movement that he is going to, to take them through. I'll give you some examples. In Exodus 34, Moses is on Mount Sinai, and he's receiving the law for how long? For 40 days, right, exactly. He's for 40 days receiving the law of God, and either it takes God a really long time to write this out, or Moses is bathing in the law of God. He's spending time deeply with God, understanding the heart of God and the law of God so that he can then carry it to the people. The law of God, which would lead the people not just in the, the days ahead, but it would teach us for all time how to live in union, how to live with God. It would point us back to what life with God is like when he rules and reigns. Exodus 34 gives us 40 days. First King 19. First Kings 19, Elijah visits Mount Horeb on a 40-day journey. 
receiving rest and, and everything that he needed before he jumped back into work. Luke 4, you know this one, Jesus spends 40 days on a mountain being tempted by Satan in every way before he goes on to, public, his, to open his public ministry and to begin to talk to people about who he is and what he had come to do. 40 days. And here, Jesus for 40 days is speaking with his disciples, preparing them for what life looks like after he ascends, for what their new normal is. Though he is ascended, they are not done moving, and they will be guided and, and led and empowered in every way. They will be helped by the Holy Spirit to be his people, Jesus' people on earth. Now, if you look at verse 3, there's a couple of things that Jesus is talking with them about during this time. We don't know every detail. We don't know every word and every story. But look at verse 3. There's two things. It says, to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. And I, I don't know if this was like the morning activity. We gather together and I'm going to, I'm going to prove it to you again. My icebreaker today is I'm going to eat some bread so you can see that I'm not a ghost, but I'm actually here. But over and over again, he's proving to them, convincing them that he's not dead, he's not a ghost, he's not done, that he is alive, and he's well, and he's not done moving. And that's a fact that was true then, and it's true today, that death cannot have Jesus, our King, and he is not done bringing healing and grace and truth into this world. And so for these 40 days, Jesus is going over this again and again by many convincing proofs. I'm alive, and there's work to be done. Second thing in verse 3. So he focused on things concerning the kingdom of God. He's teaching them what the kingdom of God is like even on earth, something that he spent much of his ministry, much of the three years they walked with him talking to them about the kingdom of God is like, and then he would tell them over and over again. And when we see that phrase throughout the Gospels, the kingdom of God, it's always referring to where Jesus rules, where Jesus reigns, where he's in charge, where Jesus is king. But it's not talking about borders and geography, and it's not talking about people who are gathered together because they have the same political ideas or the same ethnicity, or they have you know, some, some thing that makes them like one another in common, and so he reigns over them and just that grouping. But he's talking about wherever he reigns over the hearts and the minds of men and women, wherever he guides and leads the way they view the world and do life in this world, how they see themselves and what they will do with their very lives, where he reigns, where he rules, and Jesus becomes king in the lives of men and women by the message of the gospel. True? Okay, so Jesus is talking to them about this, and at this moment, it's like a mustard seed kingdom like Luke 13. It's just like the smallest almost seemingly insignificant moment for them. They're going, the kingdom is just this? I mean, there's, there's us here, maybe a few over there. We know so-and-so that we met one time. It's almost an insignificant feeling, mustard-sized kingdom now, but it has an unimaginable end. And the key in this time is for Jesus to help them see the unimaginable ending here at what seems like kind of an insignificant, tiny, minuscule kingdom that they would believe where the kingdom will end in its place. And this is surely the kind of stuff that Jesus was speaking about. What did he talk to them about for 40 days? He built up their faith. He built up their confidence and their courage and their hope, pounding again and again into their heads. This is what I have come for, and this is what happens next. It's about a people who would be gathered around this truth, and they would be on the move because of this idea. Now, I want you to try to imagine for a moment 
these meetings with Jesus. Like, try to, try to picture it in your head. I swear there's got to be a movie theater in heaven one day, and we get to sit down and say, roll Acts 1 for me. I want to watch the 40 days. Just give me that. And then it starts playing out. I want to see every detail of it. So imagine for a second, Jesus has been crucified. He's been buried. The disciples, they, they lost hope. They lost focus. They, they thought, what has happened? Did we get it all wrong? And then Jesus, three days later, he's alive. He's resurrected. And he comes to them. And he begins proving to them. And he begins speaking to them. And he gathers them. Verse 6 says, when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? In other words, is this your next move? What are we going to do? And Jesus says in verse 7, It's not for you to know the times or the epochs or the eras which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Here's what's next. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Oh, a few of you said it. Everyone say it. You shall be my witnesses. And a witness then and now is a term that's used in court to describe when you are telling people what you have seen. What you have witnessed. A, I said this this morning and it came out right the first time and never again. A witness witnesses what they witnessed. I said it. A witness witnesses what they witnessed. It's not the job of a witness to really do anything. It's not to come up with anything. It's just to tell what you have seen and what you have heard, what you have experienced. It's important. Jesus didn't go to his followers in this moment in these 40 days and say, listen, boys, kids, it's up to you now. I'm going to go, and it's up to you now. You've got to build the company. You've got to build the organization. You need to come up with something clever, something unique, something creative, something funny, something intelligent, something pragmatic. You've got to hook them. You've got to sell them. You've got to build this thing up. I'm leaving. Take it to the next level. Jesus didn't say this, did he? Never said this. His command in in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go. And this has got to be one of the strangest scenes, some strange scenes throughout the Bible. This has got to be one of the strangest scenes. He has just given them this massive charge. You're going to be my witnesses. Okay, got it. We're going to tell people. But you're going to do it throughout the ends of the earth. And then he just starts right in their sight, moving up, going towards the clouds. And they're like, whoa, what are you doing? And Jesus says, I'll be back. And they say, did you say the whole world? Do you know the whole world is really big? He's like, I can see it from up here. (laughs) It's beautiful and bigger than you thought. (laughs) And he says, go and tell them. And it says that they're just staring at this guy, watching him go. There's no like, okay, here's the leadership manual. I'm handing it over to you. I held on to it all this time. But now, now here's the secret sauce. Here's the book that you didn't know. Five you know, great habits for healthy CEOs or 10 steps to grow your organization. He doesn't give them the secret manual that he's been holding on to. He just says, go and be my witnesses. All of life, everywhere you go, all the time, I'll be back. And he starts to float up to the sky. And this is where it began. 
2,000 years later, here we are. Two point, data says 2.2 billion people among the earth today profess to follow Jesus as their Savior. It's amazing. It started, these guys gathered for 40 days. Tell them I'll be back, right? 2.2 billion people confess or profess that Jesus is their Lord. Of course, there's 7.8 billion people on the earth today. And data shows that there's about 3.3 billion people living in, as unreached peoples or unengaged peoples throughout the earth. And that, that means not people who say, I heard the story, but it's not for me. That means people who have little to no access at all to the story of Jesus, to the truth, the gospel message of Jesus Christ at all. They haven't heard. They haven't heard. 3.3 billion, or 2.2, whatever am I, 3.3 billion people on earth, unreached or unengaged peoples. I want to give you a, a link to look at. You can grab your phone. This is legal here in church today. I want you to go to this site this week. I think it's very important for you to understand what it means to have unreached peoples among the earth. There's a three-minute video at this link that you can watch. It's very helpful and, and peruse the site. This is your homework. Go learn what it means to be people who have never heard one word of the gospel or have no one telling them the truth about Jesus at all. I want you to do that this week. Today, I want us to understand this. Jesus, who is the head of the movement, he is the top head of the movement. He's the leader of the movement. He makes a command in the Great Commission. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. And the, what he actually says there, of all ethnos. It's not countries. It's not states. But it's people groups throughout the, the entire earth that all people on the earth that you would go and make disciples of them. Here in Acts 1.8, he says, where you work, where you live, where you play, where you eat, where you travel to on vacation, where your uncle lives, where your cousin lives, where you go anywhere to the ends of the earth, anywhere there are people gathered, anywhere there's a person breathing, be my witnesses. Because the movement's not done moving. And there's two important things I want you to understand about the movement today that we would not be a church who is simply an institution or an organization for goods and services, but that we would be a part of a movement, something that Jesus himself is doing in and through us to change the world. Two important things. First, these first disciples, the message captured their hearts and minds. They were, they were consumed by it. It wasn't just interesting to them. It was life to them. Their conviction was that Jesus was the substitutionary death and, and, and sacrifice for sinners. That he was God himself who left heaven, who left timelessness, and he entered time. Being born as a human and paying a price that he didn't owe but that we owed. And he did so that we could be close to God. That he's God himself on an, a rescue operation come to save us. They believed not only that he died for us but that he, he resurrected. He came up from the dead to prove who he was, that death cannot hold God himself. Jesus said to them, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And they believed him about this. And they staked their lives on it. So we read through Acts, they're going to say things like, you are a God who should be worshipped throughout all of the earth. And they'll say things like, like, we can't help but talk about what we've seen and heard. It's not that I have to like come up with a game plan I don't need a strategy. I don't have to get energized for it in the morning. I just can't help it. 
Knowing Jesus personally, knowing who you are and what you've done for me is so good and almost unbelievable that you would die and live for me. I can't help but talk about it. I'm excited about it. And you go through and watch them, and here's my question. I wonder if we have believed their testimony. Has your heart and your mind been captured in the same way the first disciples were? Is it interesting to you that Jesus came to live and to die and to resurrect? Is that interesting to you? Or has it absolutely taken hold of your life? Have we believed their testimony? Have we believed their witness? Has it captured you in such a way that you're not able to shut up about it and you would go anywhere and you would give up anything for that message because movements move and if we're not moving if it's not moving us then we might not be a part of the movement and I'm not here saying you might not be a believer I don't have the ability and I have not been given the job to know whether or not you are a believer but I'm asking are you a part of the movement because movements move and an essential, critical part of being on the move is believing in the message in such a way that it absolutely revolutionizes your life. It motivates your life. It moves you, right? Second thing in this movement, these guys gave leadership of their lives over to the Holy Spirit. They weren't in charge anymore. They didn't make the decisions alone anymore. They gave full leadership of their lives over to the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice in verse 4 and verse 8, Jesus tells them to wait, doesn't he? You see it in verse 4, verse 8. He says, I want you to wait a second. Don't leave Jerusalem quite yet. I want you to wait on the Holy Spirit. And this is good because we know some things about some of the disciples, and we know some of the disciples tend to jump ahead, don't they? They, they leap before they look. They ready, fire, aim. And Jesus is telling them, look, this isn't something that you can run out there and do for me. This is something that I'm going to do through you. And so you need to wait on the Holy Spirit to come because he's the one who's going to move through you and he's the one who's going to accomplish through you. And in every chapter of Acts, as we move through this, you're going to get the sense of this. As we move through Acts, anytime something good happens, anytime something glorious happens, it's because the Holy Spirit was moving in the people. He's the real mover. He's the, the, the mover. When something good happens, it's just a moment when a person or the church said, I relinquish control of my life and I'm going to go where the Holy Spirit moves. He's like, I'm going to move the believers over here and I'm going to work in, in the, the people over here and prepare some hearts here and then I'm going to send you there, I'm going to send you there, I'm going to send you here and I'm going to be on the move because the movement is moving and he's the mover. I want you to see kind of what, what some of this looks like. I think about... Um, of my life and the way I get up and the way I organize my life and I organize my schedule and I organize my day and all of the interruptions that come into my life. And I think about how much of my day is truly given over to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. My words, my, my thoughts, the way I view a situation that happens when something happens in the world or in my life, my first response to it, the way I, I see that and see myself in that is it something I'm viewing through my eyes or am I viewing it through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you given leadership of your life, of what you do and say, what you think, your ambitions over to the Holy Spirit? 
Because what Jesus said in, in, or in verse 1, he said that, that what you read in the Gospels is what Jesus only began to do. He's not yet done doing. He desires to do now in and through you. And if you go back to John 14, remember what Jesus said about when the Holy Spirit would come. He said the Father will send another helper. What he says is another of the same kind as me. In other words, the Holy Spirit is always in perfect sync with Jesus himself. He's always in perfect sync with the message of Jesus and the intent of Jesus and the heart of Jesus and the grace of Jesus and the power of Jesus and the, the truth of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will cause you to think and to live and to speak and to act more and more like Jesus. And here in verse 8, it's promised he's coming. And next week, Patrick, Patrick's going to get into it. We're going to see what it looks like when the Holy Spirit arrives and divinely, mysteriously, beautifully lives with us and shows that he is a God who is on the move. Acts 2, it says the Holy Spirit falls the, uh, fills the apostles at Pentecost, and they begin declaring the praises of God in ways that everyone everywhere can understand. Right? In Acts 4, Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he begins preaching to the rulers, to the powerful people, that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Get to the end of Acts 4, in the face of persecution, they're filled with the Spirit, and they're saying, I'm not afraid because God is with me, and they begin preaching the truth to people. Acts 9, Paul's filled with the Spirit, and he immediately begins to preach in the synagogues, saying, you have missed the mark. You need to see who Jesus was. You missed him while he was here, and you got to know him now. And the point is, the Spirit of God is still moving because the movement is not done. I want to show you something. We pull up verse 8. I think verse 8 is one of those that we are invited to personalize, that, that we can and should personalize. Not every verse in the Bible should be personalized. Jesus told a guy, go wash in the river and you'll be healed. I don't think we're supposed to personalize that and you go wash in a river and then you'll be healed of your cough or whatever you've got. Um, we don't personalize that, but this is a verse that we can and should personalize. And I'd like us all to read it all out loud together in a personal way. We'll, we'll do it like this. We'll say, but you, and then you in, don't say insert your name. Please don't do that. That'd be silly. <laughs> say your name there. But you, Kevin, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Can you do that with me? And you'll call out not Kevin, but you'll call out your name. I think you get the point. <laughs> All right, here we go. But you, Kevin, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Today, I want us to understand that the new normal for the disciples of Jesus, what they were learning over those 40 days, and the, the new normal for every follower of Jesus is that we would live with a missionary heart. That we would live with a missionary heart. That it would be our deepest desire that the gospel of Jesus would move through our life, something that we say has changed our life to change lives of people around us and all over the world. That our neighbors and the nations would know the grace of Jesus and the love of Jesus and the welcome of Jesus and the peace of Jesus in their life. They'd know, they'd know the love of Christ and it would reshape them and mark them forever. That everyone would know what we have experienced in him and why because our hearts and our minds have been captured by this message. It's changed everything for us. And because our lives are being led, not, not by our own ambitions and our own ideas and our own views and perspectives on the world, but our lives are being led by the Holy Spirit who is with us. And so he changes, he marks every word, every deed, every ambition of our lives. Now, I'm afraid that a lot of us 
end up in seasons or for longer seasons looking more like the disciples in verse 10. This is one of my favorite, favorite like moments to just see myself in the mirror. Verse 10, into verse 9, he was lifted up while they're looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. Verse 10, and as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And I think we can spend a lot of our lives just standing, gazing into the sky. In fact, I think a lot of people, a lot of us, a lot of people will stare at the sky for so long that we forget what we were looking at. And then we kind of look around and go, what was I doing here? And then we start looking for something else interesting that will capture our mind and our heart for a moment. So we thank God for messengers that he sends to help us, to wake us, to shake us, like in verse 11. Verse 11, these two show up and say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, he'll come just back in the same way that you have watched him go into heaven. And they just needed the reminder. Reminds me of the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17. Remember, Peter, James, and John go up on the mountain with Jesus. He's transfigured. It's almost as if the humanity that he was wearing for a moment was peeled back, and they saw him in all of his glory. Maybe they saw him what the eternal Son of God might have looked like, what he may look like now. It's peeled back, and it's beautiful, and it's powerful, and it's world-shaping. And they say, what do they say? We should stay here. It's so good just to be here. Let's build tabernacles. Moses, Elijah, Jesus, we'll just stay on top of the mountain. So much so was their heart rooted in staying there that the Father speaks from heaven in that moment. He says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, just like he did in Jesus' baptism. And then he says, listen to him. And the next thing Jesus says is, let's go. It's time to get moving. And they pack up and they went down and they continued in ministry. Remember that moment? I think for us, maybe an equivalent for us, it's easy to understand is like zombie scrolling or doom scrolling. You've heard that term. It's where you're on your phone and you're scrolling and you're looking until you, you, you don't really see what you're looking at anymore and something has to happen to shake you and wake you out of that moment. You know, what does that look like for us in church? What does it look like for, for you and I in relation to church? Well, it, it's kind of like this. It's not that the problem is that we come to gaze upon Jesus. If it's biblical, to fix your eyes upon Jesus. Amen? Yes. The problem is when we come only to gaze for a moment, and we come week after week to gaze for an hour, and then we just, we leave, and then it's done, and nothing happens, nothing changes. We've gazed upon Christ, but, but nothing's happened. Nothing is spread about what we've seen and what we've heard. Nothing has happened in us, and nothing has happened through us. Nothing's moving, and, and maybe we don't even think about it, and maybe even if we were told about it, we don't really care that much about it. That's, that's the, the problem here, the new normal for those who follow Jesus, is not to set up an institution. It's to be a movement of people who are carrying his grace into the world, right? Because movements move. And I'm convinced of this. I heard a pastor say this a decade and a half ago. He said, if you, and I tell the people in, in membership class all the time here, if you were to take your Bible and you had no background with church, no background with the story, no background with the Bible whatsoever, and you were just to read it from cover to cover, I don't think for a moment you'd read it and go, the point of this is to build a building and an institution and an organization and gather in small groups and huddle together all of the time. 
I think if you were to read this from cover to cover, from Eden to the return in the forever kingdom, you'd say, our God is a missionary God. He's a God who's on the move. He made a people for himself to delight in himself, to delight in his glory. And when people turn their back on God and they begin walking the other way, he begins said, I'm not going to leave it like that. I won't. In Genesis 3.15, I have a plan for this. And he began pursuing them with his grace. It's a story that's replayed over and over throughout the Bible. And every time a person comes to know God and his grace in a real way, what does God say? He says, go and find more people to welcome them back home. It's a, it's a story of mission. That's the big story. It's the big picture. It's about a movement of people who live by a conviction, a conviction of the love of Christ for us. And I want you to hear this. Charles Spurgeon said, if Jesus is precious to you, you won't be able to keep the good news to yourself. You'll be whispering it in your child's ear. You'll be telling it to your husband. You'll be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charms of eloquence, you'll be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak. Your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet love, of his goodness. And you've heard this part before. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. You've heard that before? It seems kind of extreme, doesn't it? He explains it. He says, it cannot be that there's a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Does that make sense? You can't really claim to worship him but never really speak of him. I get excited about a movie and I talk about it so everyone's sick of me. It cannot be that there's a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. If you really know Christ, you're like one who's found honey and you'll call others to taste of its sweetness. You're like the beggar who's discovered an endless supply of food and you've got to go and tell the hungry crowd you have found Jesus and you are anxious that they would find him too. I've seen in my own life and, and in the lives of my friends and in my church from time to time, the complacency can take over and complacency in the Christian life always points to us being out of touch with the movement or blinded in a season to the real beauty and glory and goodness of Jesus himself. Does that make sense? Movements move. The call of the text is to engage in the mission, everyone, everywhere, all the time. Everyone, everywhere, all the time. Movements move question for us in the text is, are we moving? Do we look more like an institution that has been set up to deliver goods and services? Are we, to you, more like an event? You come to, you sit through, you feel a little better, and you go? Or because your heart and your mind has been wrapped up in the story of Jesus, and because the Holy Spirit now drives the boat, you're a part of a movement that's going somewhere that's changing this world. Amen? That's what we're going to look at all year long. Now, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. Maybe someone invited you here today. Maybe they said, I want to take you to lunch today. Uh, I'll pick you up a little early and we'll hang. And you just didn't know it was a church hang, but you're hanging. <laughs> and you're going, this better be a good lunch. You know, sometimes if you're not a Christian and you hear something like this, you go, this is it. This is the thing that I don't like about the church. You guys are always conniving and always trying to figure out something to go and change me, to press your ideas upon my life because I have to do things your way. And I hear you. I hear you. And I, I, want, I just want to give you this, that this message has absolutely changed everything for me. 
My whole life is built upon this. This is it. And that's true of, of Christians all over this room. Our lives are built upon this. Our, our very life and our future hangs upon the message of Jesus. And I would just invite you this and tell your friends, I invite you this. Try for a moment to not look at the institution or the organization because we get a lot of things right and wrong. Try for a moment not to look at it, political entanglements or misguided sales pitches that are so cliche and never, never really hit the mark. But I invite you to look to Jesus, him himself. Look to the Jesus of the Bible and even, even reach out testing, Jesus, if you're real, I think that's an okay way to start a prayer. Jesus, if you're real, help me to know you. Help me to know you. And I think you'll be surprised by the incredible life that you'll find in Christ. Can I pray for you this morning? God, we turn to you at the beginning of a new year, and I confess and and I invite people all over the room to confess if it's true that distractions can overwhelm and overtake us so often and, and our eyes and our lips and our lives are not led by the Holy Spirit, God, by you, the Holy Spirit, but instead led by so many other things. And maybe that's why we feel so twisted up so often. And maybe these last few years and all of the challenges that life and culture have brought between sicknesses and politics and working from home, schooling from home, or all of the, all of the things. They've become such a, such a season of looking down at ourselves and saying, what do I want to do? What am I, how am I going to handle this? What am I going to do in this situation? Me, 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 me. I pray for a moment you'd help us to look up to the sky as the disciples whose hearts were wrapped up in this Jesus who was ascending. But I pray that that look then would be brought down by the reminder that there's work to do. That you will return just as you, as you left. You've promised it. We've staked our lives on it. But you're waiting patiently for more to make room for repentance. Would you lead us to those around us, to the neighbors and the nations, to be faithful witnesses. In Jesus' name, amen.